Hi, this is Chad. Thanks again for joining Product Mastery because you're on this journey to be a product master. Wherever you are on that path for being an innovator, being a product manager, we're all getting better moving towards product mastery. And today we're talking about transformation, specifically transforming a struggling company to excellence by applying product management disciplines, including R&D principles, innovation processes, and more. And further, to make these topics engaging and practical, they are shared in the form of a business novel that's titled Winning Innovation, How Innovation Excellence Propels an Industry Icon Towards Sustained Prosperity. Joining us to discuss this transformation to excellence is the co-author of the book, Norbert Majerus. He's also a returning guest to our podcast. He was with us back in episode 212 discussing lean-driven innovation for product managers. Norbert has spent 40 years at Goodyear driving R&D and innovation excellence. He's now retired and a keynote speaker, teacher, and consultant, sharing his expertise with others. And I appreciate Norbert sharing some expertise with us during this time. Remember, if you want a detailed written summary of everything we talk about, you'll find those in the show notes, along with a one-page action guide to help you put into action immediately the key takeaways from our discussion. Those will be at productmasterynow.com slash 372. Norbert, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me again. I really uh, love to uh, to share what uh, what I learned in a long career in, in innovation, and I like these opportunities. Thank you very much. I'm glad you are here and uh, sharing some of that experience. And I'll, I'll dive right into the uh, the novel here, which is why did you choose to write a novel about innovation? <laughs> well, that is actually an uh, interesting question. It, I when I give a workshop, okay, and I do a lot of those. The the number one feedback is always we love your stories, and um, I, I thought about that. And uh, most of the stories that I told were real stories, and I uh, I normally only tell the good ones also. So, and I was thinking about that, and there were I wrote a book before it was about Goodyear and so on, but there were a lot of stories that were not told, and very often out of respect for for other people and so on. And um, then I figured. Um, how can I uh, get the message uh, across just telling stories? And it, it, they, then it dawned on me it had to be in a novel. I mean, they have to be connected uh, somehow. And I read a lot of books, and, and I like the, the way authors uh, uh, interweave five or six different stories. Uh, some are about uh, the business, some are just um, romance or action or whatever, and I, I talked to George, George, uh, my co-author there, and, and I, I remember when we met and he thought, are you crazy? Nobody ever did this on, on innovation or something. But then when we talked, he said, maybe I should give this a try. This looks like fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it, cert it certainly was. It, it, it's probably as much fun to tell the stories than to read the stories. And, but it is uh, innovative. I have to admit that it... Um, there were stories written about the lean and uh, things like that. And I actually um, got coached uh, relatively well there by the, the gentleman who wrote the foreword for my uh, book. He's, an, he's a master at that, uh, telling stories about lean, uh, lean manufacturing and so on. So it, it certainly was fun. We'll have to see how uh, people will respond to it. But George and I certainly had fun writing it. That, uh, that's for sure. And uh, the, the, we did one thing on purpose. The, 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 the first, the idea was, 
to tell the story and then list all the principles and then become become a, a textbook again. And we decided not to do that because we felt it was um, not very respectful to the readers to let them read the story and then tell them really what it what it meant. I mean, we uh, we felt uh, it's better to give the reader an opportunity to think about it and think if they've seen similar things before, and I'm sure they have. That uh, that's the bottom line, and then figure it out on their own and mm-hmm. and and get to the to the gist of it um, by just uh, reflecting on on the story. So that's why. We uh, decided not to put the, the list of all the, the principles at the end of the chapter. The novel format is engaging. And I, I think the first book I may have read that in that format that was a business book was probably Who Moved My Cheese. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, the idea is just stick with you in story. And uh, if people love the stories you share, then crafting what you don't know about innovation as a story in a novel makes good sense. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so pr- to provide some context here, you, you talk about a company that was doing well and now they're struggling. We've all been in that uh, context. And I bet some of the struggles that this company is going through, myself and other listeners could identify with this, you know, from the organizations we work in. C- can you set the stage for us a little bit and tell us what is going yeah. on? It's a bicycle company. And yeah. what are they struggling with? Well, they are not really struggling what um, uh, the context is, uh, they are the best at what they are doing. Mm-hmm. They have the best product on the market. The people, they, they participate in all uh, pro racing and so on. Their bikes win the races. They, they sell the bikes for a fortune. They're very expensive more money to win races they also have competition the, the technology is kind of old they, they're still doing well the technology is kind of old and uh, competition has uh, caught up to them quite quite well and the the way i the owner has no successor and he wants to retire and uh, he's uh, talking this over with a good of his uh, who's in the business of uh, buying companies like that who are great competent companies leaders of what they are doing but who are on the who have just had their best uh, business years already and uh, then uh, this this friend he he brings in what what I call uh, innovation excellence and uh, is able to transform the companies and what he's doing he says okay you are, have been the best of what you are doing but it's not sustainable uh, on its own so i have to teach you to use your innovative thinking to continue being the best at what you do. But at the same time, you use your innovative thinking to become the best on how you do it. And that makes you that makes you sustainable. And that's the lesson that he gives his, uh, his friend there. And slowly, of course, they struggle like we struggled at Goodyear, the same struggles. We struggled at Goodyear when we tried to do this. And I know many companies that I've been associated with who struggle with the same thing. And I, I put all these struggles story by the way and it is it is they, they all struggle with the same thing it's a big change and why do we have to change when we do so well well the bottom line is you have to change now because if you're down um, if you go down another year or two uh, then it's too late to to change you have to change now so 
look at what you are doing well and then engage all the people in your company to come up with how can we do this better? How can we use all this creativity? We have the best product. So how can we use all this creativity to, to think a little bit outside the box, put in um, a, a world-class um, uh, innovation system in the company and uh, and keep reinventing ourselves as we go along? That has to be a part of it. And of course, the book has a happy end <laughs> at the end. But I believe that that the happy end is fiction. I believe that if you do this right and if you do it the right way, everybody. This is such a simple process that everybody can be successful with this. And the simple process is a good thing for us to learn about. Then companies do str struggle over time. They kind of get complacent. They get really good at what they that they've known. And as you said, there's a need to reinvent because competitors are taking action. The market's changing. Customer preferences are changing. And yep. if we don't look a few years down the road, you know, the products we have now aren't going to be the ones that keep generating revenue later. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. So, so let's dive into that transformation that you write about. And there's a number of factors involved in transforming an organization for, for excellence, including what you share in the book, adoption of a three-phase innovation process. Yeah. What do they do first? You know, just take us through the story a little bit. <laughs> what does the, the company need to examine first? Well, that is, when I started at Goodyear with, with this thing, we, we actually had a burning platform. We were really not doing well and had to do something drastically different very drastically different. And uh, the good thing, uh, the chairman at that time, Bob Keegan, he brought in uh, talent from the outside. And, and he mixed outside talent with, uh, with Goodyear talent. And it became very obvious that uh, the people who came from the outside had different ideas, and especially about the business. And uh, that made it very, very obvious. We cannot continue the same way we have been. It made it uh, very uh, visible. But what, what I like to do in this case is uh, it, you don't have to let it go that far. You, you, you have to be a company that constantly thinks about how can we do better? How can we do better? And that's not just a one-time thing. It, it has to become in, in your DNA. And, and most companies do it very well when it comes to the product, to innovating the product. 
but the, the 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 point is that you have to do it also in terms of how you work. And when I started at Goodyear, then I read a lot, and I pretty much had a good idea uh, what what to do, and had had a good support from from my mentor there, who uh, later became uh, chief technical officer at Goodyear. I thought that it was all about the process and uh, get the process right and the results will follow. That was my my mantra. You get the process right and everything else will fall in place. Well, a few years later, I realized that wasn't quite right. And now I know, and I learned it, and I, but I know for sure, you have to engage the people in this transformation. If you don't engage these people in this transformation, uh, it's not going to sustain itself. And also, I learned that you cannot go outside and hire people who already know this stuff, because uh, then you miss out on, on the people who have 20 or 30 years with the company, who know the nuts and bolts of the company. And I figured that it is a lot easier to teach um the engineers and, and our experts, uh, the, uh, the uh, innovation excellence, rather than hiring people uh, who have those skills and then teach them about tires in, in the Goodyear mm. case. So, And if I now, of course, that I learned that you have to do these two things together. And uh, it, it, you're much faster if you uh, uh, change the culture by engaging the people and you engage them while you change the process. And it's not that you tell them, hey, this is the process that we have to implement. It doesn't work so well, especially with engineers. The way you do it is you educate them. You educate them in the new thinking. And then you say, hey, look, you know how you work every day. Now, let's together figure this out. How can we do this better? With what you, with the principles that you just learned. And uh, that has worked really, really well for me. And uh, as I said, I started it a little late. And if I would do it again, I would start and do the two things together. And that's the story that I tell, by the way, how these, uh, the cultural part, the people is done at the same time you bring the processes in. And it is done by having the people who work there bring in the processes and they develop the processes and they make the processes work for the work that they do every day. And I mean, it's a little, it takes a little upfront effort to, to do that. I have to admit that, but at the end, it, it is much more sustainable. And by, by the time you get it going, you actually, I think you get the results even faster than if you were bring in the processes and tell them, Hey, this is the new process. We all should do it this way. Now go ahead and, uh, and do it this way. So, well, okay, with that being said, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the process then that um, there is a... Be before um, I go to process, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, let me ask about the culture aspect. So, yeah. as you shared, right, uh, you need the people engaged in this or, or the change won't take place, right? It certainly won't yeah. be sustained. But this is hard for organizations, right? The, the culture you start with determines a lot about how easy it is to get yeah. them involved. Yes. And if you if everyone recognizes you're on a burning platform, then I think it would be, you yes. know, a little bit more people might be inclined to say that yes. we're going to change. The bike company you described sounds like they don't really recognize they're on a burning platform. And a lot of companies will, you know, there'll be people in the organization, maybe even the executive team that says, you know, in five years, we will not exist if we don't start changing now. Yeah. But if pe others don't see that, that's really challenging. Yes. And as I said, I, I've been through 
and I actually one of the heroes in the in in the book. It's me uh, coming in as a young engineer with all these great ideas, and then I am so excited to tell people about my great ideas. And all I hear is "Go pound sand." We don't need this stuff here, you yeah. know. And uh, that's how uh, that's how it starts actually. And uh, I, I work those stories in and. And of course, the, the, the leadership, you know, the leaders, we, we don't do this stuff. We know what we're doing and you, you know all that. But it, it, it is a little different, as you said, if you have a burning platform and uh, you know you're going to be out of business if you don't do anything drastic, it's, it's easy to engage the people. Mm -hmm. But in, in this case, it, it was a little bit harder. But at the end, what, what I uh, used to um, uh, do at, uh, at Goodyear, I, I worked that in the story because what, what really got me, helped me a lot was It, it, it was at the time everybody outsourced everything. Okay, so when you call, you always get somebody in a foreign country answering, and and a lot of manufacturing jobs have moved uh, out of the country. And uh, it bothered me that a lot of engineering jobs moved out of uh, the United States or even out of Europe uh, just as well. And that really bothered me. And it bothered other engineers, my my colleagues too. And at the same time, we started this initiative. We started an initiative on outsourcing. And people were scared to death. It was just like, okay, now we here we go. It costs nothing to buy computers in, in other countries, and that's all you need. The talent is there. The education is great, in, uh, and uh, especially in the rubber industry. China uh, graduates more PhDs mm. related to, to rubber and plastics than the rest of the world mm, combined uh, every year. And that got people really thinking. And, and my, my first class that I ever taught uh, about, uh, about lean was exactly that. Hey, look, it, it, all we, they need to do is, and, and I went through two projects where we were very close to outsource a very major part of R&D to other countries. And um, so, hey, if we want to keep the jobs here, we are good at what we are doing. But if we want to keep the jobs here, we have to get so good that we can compete with anybody in the world on uh, paying any salary and so on. And I think that was the big motivator. People understood that. And uh, they, they saw the writing on the wall. And, um, and actually, I, I think we succeeded at that. Uh, I, I'm sure we succeeded at that. There was, there was no talk about maybe some routine drawing work and so on got outsourced, but the rest, uh, The state and and uh, the budget, by the way, uh, for 20 years, well, my last 20 years of my career, the R&D budget was flat, mm. totally flat. And uh, that I learned at, at Porsche in Germany, by the way. Uh, uh, they have operated with a flat budget for much longer and brought all these new models. They, they, they have more innovation in the last 20 years than ever before in their, in their company. And they did it with less money. And uh, that made us think, okay, we can do this. We can do this. We don't have to spend all this money. If we just work a little bit better, a little bit smarter, we can do this. And it was the we can do this. It wasn't just like, hey, I tell you how to do it. No, right. it was like, we can do this. We got by it. Figure this out. Yeah, yeah, they were motivated. And that's a pretty uh, then, compelling, motivating story because it's not just that the position might be outsourced, In this case, with the strength of what you shared, right, the strength of Chinese, Chinese chemists and, and rubber, 
you may not find another opportunity if that's the way the industry is going. And so we better yeah. make this work. Yeah. And um, uh, that's the story that I kind of uh, tell in the in, in, in okay. the book also, of course, uh, the, the, uh, as a big motivator, not the only one, but... Uh, yeah, but, but for uh, people to change, motivator. we need motivation. That's true. So, but you also need education, by the way. Sure. I have to stress that. It's not like, let's change. No. We're bringing the two let's, together, right? The yeah, let's learn what the, works and, yeah. then, and then apply it to, uh, to our company. So let's talk about that process that you bring in as well, right? Is this your three-phase innovation process or something else? Correct, correct. And a lot of what, what always bothered me, uh, the innovation can't have a process, okay? You, you, you heard that many times. And that is not true at all. It's rubbish. Um, 70% of what at Goodyear, what we did in the innovation center, and I, virtually every company that I, that I looked at, has maybe not 70%, but a very large amount of what I call routine product design. Every time I look at it, I, I can't believe how poorly it's done because that is work that can be done exactly like a factory. And I call it mass design because that's the work that can, that's a pure execution. And like the, 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 the car industry, for example, you have a, your car design and now you make all these models and colors and the two and, uh, and the engines and, and so on that you spin off. And every, they all need their drawings. They all need their testing and so on. That is routine work and should be uh, treated as such. And all you can, we ran that work just like a factory. With Kanban cards and um, visual planning and everything. But then it comes to just let's go straight to the front end, the, the creative piece. The, the front end the, of innovation. Yeah, that didn't yeah. exist that good year when we started because okay. all the people were working on the routine stuff mm. and uh, get, uh, launching product and so on. And uh, nobody had ever had time to work on that front part. And the, the main reason was that we made that front part extremely cumbersome. Every idea turned into a project and it went for years. And we went through all these cycles. Now we have to kill projects again. And people quit because they, they don't want to work three years on a project. Then the project gets killed. And then came StageGate and so on. And oh, now we have finally found the right tool to kill all these projects. And I said, we cannot continue working like that. So let's look at how other people do this. And that's when, by, by pure luck or whatever, that's when Lean Startup came along. Eric Ries wrote this book, Lean Startups, and that really changed my mind completely. Why don't we work like that a little bit more? And then, of course, uh, you, you start thinking about it. You uh, read other stuff. And then you, by then, there was Agile out there and so on. I said, well, hey, we can evaluate what, 100 ideas for the price of one with our current process. Mm. And that really made, made the difference. This uh, work along the risk scale. What is the most, what I challenge people on their idea. Give me the one assumption that makes or breaks this project. And, oh, we don't know that. Well, then think about it. To the next day they come and say, okay, this is it. If we, uh, if we can't solve this one thing, we will never have a product. I said, okay, now tell me how you can, within one week, with the minimum amount of money, how can you answer that question? And then uh, when that question is answered, we go to the next question. Mm -hmm. And after the third question, normally we either 
attorney didn't uh, spend the money for the technology development, or we freeze it and go and work on something else. Right. And uh, that uh, really, that thinking, I think, is very important. But not just, uh, again, uh, doing going through the motions of Scrum and uh, Agile and all those things. No, you have to really understand your 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 product and and work along the risk scale. And I I have so many stories on that subject. There are some in the in in, in the book also how to how that can be done very mm-hmm. very wrong. And but I also believe that a lot of companies do this very well, and especially the startups do do a fantastic job at it. And so um, learning from all those is every company can big time uh, take big time advantage of that. And then you have that middle piece. Now let's say you had you evaluated a couple hundred new ideas, new concepts, and there's one or two that made it through and that these are really great. We really should develop. Now you get into the development of the technology. And uh, there I learned that you have to disengage it from the product and concentrate on your knowledge gaps. If you stick with the product, the best you can do is have a better product at the end. But you are such, um, you go such a narrow road pursuing that product. If you dissociate it with the product and say, what are the knowledge gaps? And, and then only develop the technology to close those gaps. But you, in or, um, but in order to close these gaps, you are just not going a narrow road. You go to the vast space of, of, of all different um, ideas that you can bring in at that time again. And uh, at the end, I found out that normally you have more than one product when, when you're done mm. uh, with, with that kind of thinking. Uh, you, you find other uses for that technology you develop. Of, yeah, out of the knowledge that you gain. Right. And uh, so, uh, so those are pretty much the three, uh, the, the three different ideas. I mean, there's big overlap, of course, in these, but that's what I think is, is the most efficient way to take thousands of new ideas and get them where they belong, that you have something to sell and market and make money out. Excellent. So I want to ask about a few things here. So first, first just that idea. Let's let's try a hundred ideas and make build our assumptions, get the knowledge that we need to figure out which ones can move forward. At the end of the day, we, we really don't know which ideas are going to be profitable for the company. But, you know, we need to investigate them as cheaply and as Absolutely. fastly as we can. That middle piece you talked about, I'm not sure if I'm understanding that uh, clearly, so I, I want to go through this a little bit. When I think of a front end of innovation that identifies an opportunity that requires a new technology, right? There, there's something that we're missing now in our organization, and we need to solve that piece. The best way of dealing with that is you put your product project on hold, and you go pursue the missing technology or knowledge, maybe in, in an R&D format, and that might be, you know, let's do a search. Is there somewhere in the world that this exists that we do it? And if not, you know, how do we come about developing this? Because if you try to do both together, your product project just wastes resources as it tries to move forward, waiting for this knowledge gap to be filled. Is that what you were suggesting or did uh, I correct, misunderstand? Correct. And okay. um, I actually learned a lot from Toyota there. Um, hmm. That is actually something Toyota did share with uh, with the rest of the world. And it dawned on me that um, at Goodyear, we would try one thing. At Toyota, they said, no, it has to be at least 10 things here, or we're not going to do this. And um, if those 10 things, uh, nine of them will fall uh, by the wayside. 
And at Goody, we would always say, oh, we are good enough. We picked the right one right away. That is not true, okay? And yep. so it, it, it dawned on me the, the, this enormous amount of the more options that they bring in. And, and also what I learned, they don't close them. They keep them and they keep them. Everything that possibly could work, they keep them. And then they narrow down, narrow down. And what absolutely doesn't work, they drop. And then they narrow down. And a year later, the market has changed right. or whatever. And then they say, oh, well, are we glad that we have another option here? Because now this one has a better chance now, now to work. And uh, that is something that, of course, uh, for efficiency reasons, most companies don't want to do that. However, it's pre proven many times that at the end of the day, if you do it right, the, the Toyotas are more successful with that than anybody else. So, But there, there's um, uh, Toyota, but uh, I learned from a lot of other companies there. It um, I was taught, uh, you know, the the DOE design of experiment in school mm -hmm. and okay. But you, now let's say you tell you have 20 or 30 things in your experiment there and you drag them all through this monster experiment to the very end to find out they are no good. So you can eliminate those very quickly with very, very simple um, uh, experiments or, or, or modeling or whatever. And you don't have to drag them through. And, and then the other thing right. from uh, Toyota, from the automotive, is then you take your best option and you integrate them. And then you build the product and then you test. And then the, the knowledge from that is, uh, is, is very important again. And uh, you may change uh, directions through, uh, through that uh, many times. But at the end of the day, the, the results are much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then it's the, certainly the point based uh, the product, the focus on the product. Then right, uh, and spending three years finding out no one wants the product that you actually ended up with. So the the experimental approach from lean startup is very important. I, I'm not sure if I captured the names for your three phases well. So so w what do you call the three phases? Well, the 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 first one I call it the creative phase. Okay, uh, that that's just about creativity, uh, uh, trying as many different things, but uh, and as quickly as possible, figure if there is uh, if there is any benefit, like the, the startups uh, would do. The second phase, I call it uh, efficient knowledge development, uh, closing those knowledge gaps that uh, that you need to close. And the last one, I I call mass design for mass manufacturing. Mm -hmm. It is you take your your hints or, or your cues from uh, the manufacturing and I, I mean, uh, it it was it, uh, at at the beginning. By the way, the it was like people didn't like it because they said, "I I feel like I work on an assembly. I'm be made an assembly worker." I said, "No, we're not making you do anything. You develop the process." And and at the end of the day, it was like, "Man, I have so much time for other stuff now." Since, mm. since I don't have to do all this uh, this uh, wasted effort anymore. And, and it was also they were designing the process. And it, it, it was not at all like, hey, I feel like, uh, like I work on an assembly line because that work I do for a, uh, a short piece of part of the day. And then I go uh, do my creative work to improve the process. It, it wasn't what they thought it would be. It, it actually worked out pretty good. Good. Well, thanks for taking us through part of the novel. 
And while the novel is an engaging way to, re- to learn some of these concepts, I think the key takeaway for product managers is actually how to put some of these, these concepts into practice in their organization. And the novel will help us get into that further. As listeners do know, we love innovation quotes around here. And I asked you to bring us one. What is that quote? And tell us what it means to you. It's actually the essence of the, of the book. Um, you have, if you want to be successful with innovation today, you have to be the best of what you do and how you do it. It's the product, the creativity, and um, uh, the, the technology and everything that goes into your product. And many, many companies are excellent at that. But you also have to be the best at how you do it. Because that is not, and I, I use the motivation of keeping the jobs in, in, the, in, in the country, but at the end of the day, that's what will sustain you mm-hmm. because you you will always be able to afford what you are doing and you will always be able to do so much more with the money that you're able to spend. And that will give you um, just as much of a competitive advantage, I think, than the creativity in the product. So be the best at what you do and how you do it. And while you are retired, you're still helping people. You're, you're still sharing your knowledge and experience. And you have this book that I, I think would be beneficial for listeners to go check out. How can we find out more about you and uh, also find out about the book? The book is on Amazon. Um, okay, that makes uh, already, that easy. Um, what is the URL for the website if we want to check it out? Oh, it's just my, my website is Lean Driven Innovation, the title of my first book, just one okay. word. Or my, my name. All spelled together, nobertmajeros.com. Uh, if you have a unique name, you can um, just uh, put uh, .com behind it. It works. Yes. <laughs> it really works. And for those that aren't quite sure how to spell that, which should definitely be me, I will make sure there are links in the show notes to those resources. Norbert, I so much appreciate you taking the time to tell us about this novel and the insights from your great deal of experience that are at Goodyear. Well, again, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to to share my thoughts, and and I hope uh, will do. I hope some people will catch a few things here and there. If, if not, um, I'd be more than happy to, to answer any questions that anybody might have. So, excellent. I'm sure it'll be a good resource for us. And product masters, remember you'll find the written details of everything we talked about, including that one page action guide to put into action the key takeaways from this discussion at productmasterynow.com slash 372. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.